0: Hi, right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. A couple things before we jump into the service today. First is our budget. So we want to make sure you guys see financially where we're at. So monthly budget, $45,000, giving in April, uh, what we were over budget and over budget for the year, and obviously um, the end new givers. So seven more people who decided like we want to be a part of uh, giving here at Life Church on a regular basis. And so um, that 's a huge thing to celebrate, obviously, um, as we continue to try to figure out what we 're going to do here at Life Church and how we 're going to continue to uh, minister to the community and be able to uh, expand our influence so One of the things that we 've said in the past that um, we want to continue to use our building uh, to expand influence into uh, the community and so Last week, if you were here for church, you realized why we need to put some money in the building. So you had to like sit in spaces not to get rained on uh, out here. And so one of the things that we're doing for the future is is that we want to host events for the community in this space um, because we uh, feel like God honored us to be able to come down and and be in this space um, and put some money into it and make it a great gathering place for people. Um, But we need to get some of that stuff fixed. So we told you guys at the beginning of the year, we're raising money to try to be able to get that done. It's a pretty big expense, but we're going to go after it and try to raise all the money and not have to be able to go to the bank and see, do the giving of people. So that's the next slide that I want to put up for you. So uh, what we've raised so far, uh, so you would be able to see what we need to raise. We've raised so far what was given to uh, the building project in April, and then also just to show you guys when people be like, Well, what are you doing with the money that's like over budget or the things that you know uh, uh, that you get outside of what the normal budget is? So, we're show you on there we moved $15,000 over from the general fund into the building fund last month uh, so that as Life Church General Fund can keep contributing to the building fund to be able to help raise money, obviously, for the uh, this project. So we're asking people, if you want to give specifically, if God's, you know, uh, blessed you in any certain way and you want to give specifically above and beyond, this is some place you can give so that we can continue to use this building. So you can do it in a couple ways. One is you can go just write a check and put building fund in the memo line and they'll put it in the building uh, project fund. You can go online onto our website and if you give electronically, there's a place where you can click building fund on there, and our app when you go to give, uh, you can give it that way. So we continue to pray that we can, you know, move these projects forward, uh, be able to continue to get the building in a place where we can use it uh, continually uh, for the community, because we don't necessarily want to invite the community, and it's pouring down rain, and we have to strategically, you know, put people out there. Or it's the middle of August, and we don't have the air fixed in here, which you might find out you won't like either. (laughs) (laughs) Because it gets pretty hot uh, out here. Right, disclaimer, before we get into this. So we're in this series, Love, Sex, and Dating. Um, and so just a disclaimer, if you have kids in here and you don't want them to hear the sex talk from the pastor, you might want them to leave because today is about sex. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Just want to make sure that there was a disclaimer. If you don't want to hear it, uh, you don't want your kids to hear it. Again, it's not that it's, you know, I don't know, maybe weird, but uh, it's just we want to make sure that we put it out there that, we're hey, we're going to talk about sex today, so if you don't want anybody to hear it, now's the time to to be able to take them out. Now, let's go to why are we doing this series called Love, Sex, and Dating. So from the beginning, we said culture has had a big influence on things that the church should have had influence on, but the church essentially gave up um, because, and this is why I think it is, 15, 20, 30 years ago culture and uh, Christianity weren't that far apart, right? Like, here's, here's culture, people had been to church, maybe weren't highly involved, but had had some sort of a moral foundation to, that was somewhat grounded, even if they didn't know it, out of Scripture, right? So they might have not known that it was from Scripture, but a lot of their cultural traditions that they had were grounded out of Scripture, as time, went on, as time has went on, that gap has widened a lot. What culture believes to be true and what Scripture believes to be true, now the gap is tremendously big. And so I think what's happened is, is that where Scripture stands on love, sex, and dating compared to where culture stands might be the widest gap we have, right? And so I think what the church has done is, like, if we preach this message, everybody's going to be like, oh, my gosh. This is so outdated and so boring and so, you know, not relevant for today. And so I think the church stopped talking about it and or they didn't want to have the conversations on a Sunday morning about sex, you know. It's kind of like when um, my wife said, hey, I've had the talk with Lexi and you need to have the talk with the boys. And I'm like, do I really have to? I mean... I figured it out. I mean, surely they can figure out how to do, I mean, you know, so it's like that same concept as you get this kind of awkward, like, I don't know if I really want to have these conversations type of a thing, you know, with your kids. Well, it's the same thing. I don't know that people really want to have it um, inside of the church, but we think it's really important. And I think this is why, not I think, I, I know because this is what scripture says. One of the things that you're going to find out in this message, sexual sin has an effect on a person that no other sin has. Not one other sin inside of Scripture. Sexual sin, the effect that it has on a person, is greater than any other sin that a a person should commit. So why wouldn't we deal with it? Now, this is somewhat of a, like, I've... Surprised I would have to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So when we look in the Bible and it defines sexual sin, it's defined by what's called sexual immorality. So we'll say sexual immorality, that's the sin. So I want to make sure we all understand what sexual immorality is because I think that's even got blurred, okay? Sexual immorality inside of Scripture is anything sexual, anything that's sexual outside of the design that God has, okay? What's the design? One man, one woman, getting married, saving themselves for marriage, and then having sex as a gift to one man and one woman being united together. Anything outside of that, right? And we're going to put a lot of things in place and talk about it. Anything outside of that is defined as sexual immorality and a sin. And we'll talk about, you know, the effects of it and what it looks like and why it's important. Now, the thing that we're going to try to get over today is the myth... And again, this goes back to even for myself, is that when you do talk about sex, that a lot of times what we talk about is the physical aspects of sex, right? So when you have the conversation with your kids or you have the conversations with people, it's usually derived around the physical aspects. Like, you know, if you have sex, young people, you have a disease and things fall off, right? (laughs) I mean, you try to scare them into that. I mean, I don't know if they really do or not, but... I mean, that's what you say, right? Like, you try to, you're like, you're gonna get a disease, and these things are gonna happen in a disease. And, or, what if you get pregnant? Who's gonna take care of the kid, and how's all that gonna work? And all the, so it's usually about these physical aspects of, you know, what happens with sex. And so we tell people, like, just stay away from the physical, and if you stay away from the physical aspects of it all, that's the reason why you don't have sex before marriage. You don't want a disease, and you don't want to get pregnant. You don't want all the things that go with it. In fact, I think that if you look at culture today, you know how we talk about sometimes sin has been accepted inside of culture? Like, it's just going on for so long. The bar has been lowered so much that you don't even really talk about it. So this idea of someone being a virgin before they get married, like, if you talk about that today, you know how outdated that is to people? Like, no? Yes? Like it's for sure outdated, right? Like when you're talking about like, oh yeah, you know, in the world we're a little house on the prairie, but there ain't no people being virgins now. And in fact, I think as Christian parents, sometimes we've just accepted it. Right? I think as Christian parents, we've come and said, We're accepting you know why I think that is because times a lot of times when people are having conversations, especially with their daughters, when they're in a serious relationship, you know, and they're they're in that serious relationship with that person that they're probably gonna marry someday. Our answer is, like, isn't stay sexually pure because this is what Scripture says. Let me give you some birth control because I know there's no way you're going to stay sexually pure. Which would just say to me, like, I'm not sure that we truly understand what Scripture says of the effects of what sexual sin happens because, yeah, you're fixing a physical problem. Your daughter's not going to get pregnant. But if you understood what Scripture said about the internal problems that go with sexual sin, I think we would at least have the conversation to say, before we get to this place, like get you birth control to make sure you're not pregnant, do you understand the spiritual ramifications of what happens internally inside of you because of sexual sin? Like that's something that we should look at. Now, what I also want you to see is, is that when we talk about sin having no other effect uh, on people uh, like any other sin, the sexual sin, I want to read a scripture to you um, inside of this. Because what I want you to be able to see is sexual sin has a huge effect on people um, and, and the mind. And so in Romans 1, 22 through 25, listen to what it says. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, uh, birds and animals and reptiles. So again, this is, this is what they started to do. So they started to worship the created things more than the creator. Does that make sense? And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Part of the reasons that we struggle with... Um, sexuality is because we think of sexuality just from this worshiping the created instead of the creator, right? Sexuality has become about worshiping the body or worshiping sexuality, and we forget about the worship to the creator. That's what happened to these people in Romans. They started to worship, created things over the creator. Now, listen to what happened. Therefore, God gave them over, and some scriptures would say to a depraved mind, this scripture says, to their sinful desires of their hearts. To what? Isn't this interesting, the first thing that he says? Gave them over to sexual impurity, right? Like when he's talking about giving their hearts over, like once you finally get to this place where you're starting to um, worship created things over over God, the creator, he says, well, I'll just give you over to what is natural then for you. That's what he's trying to say. So the first natural thing that comes up for somebody that is no longer worshiping God is sexual sin. Right? Now, in it it says, then, it says, Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, Here's what I want you to see, because here's something I think, if you've never seen this, I want you to understand the extreme, okay? So, when I went to India, um, while I was there, we went to this house that rescued women that were sold into sexual slavery, okay? This house was, you would take women, they would, you know, get them out of the red light district, you'd put them into this house, and you would teach them a trade, right? Because, you know, they, they didn't know one. You would teach them normalities of life, because these are girls that have you know, been sold at a young age and have been in sex slavery for a long time. So you teach them normalities of life. You help give them dignity in their death because most of them had a disease that was gonna end up killing them um, or had you know, AIDS or whatever that was is was gonna end up killing them. So you gave them dignity in um, death. Now I want you to think about this, okay? So we're talking about, God says, when you start worshiping created things, right, over the creator, your mind is going to lean into sexual impurity and it's going to get bad if you don't get this fixed. Over in India, if you were a father and you had a daughter and you needed money, guess what you did with your daughter? You sold them to the brothel. Once they were sold to the brothel, they were put in a room and chained to a bed. Once they were chained to the bed, up to 20 men a day would come in and have sex with this girl inside of this brothel. She was brought her food on a plate, right? And she ate chained up to the bed. So first of all, what man or what father could see that it made any sense at all to sell their daughter into sex slavery? Someone who gave up worshiping the creator and worshiped the created and saw her as a commodity. Now, listen to me. We're all sitting there saying, what an awful dad. Listen, God, I'm telling you, today, too many times in our world, whether you want to say it or not, women are treated as a commodity. I know you don't want to hear it, and it's not the extreme, but it is true, right? What man, think about this. What man in his right mind opens up the door to a room of a woman who has had sex with multiple men already on a bed, walks into that room be like, oh, this is awesome. I want to have sex with her. Like who gets to the place where that seems normal? People who have worshiped created things over the creator. And when you start to do that, It changes things in your brain that you think would be absolutely impossible to ever be changed, right? We think it'd be impossible for you to ever sell your daughter. We think it'd be impossible for you to ever have sex inside of a brothel. We think it'd be impossible for you to ever have sex with a prostitute. We think it would be impossible or maybe not to be addicted to pornography. We think it'd be impossible or not for you to have lustful desires for we think it impossible you know, you see where I'm going with all this? It all starts with a decision, right? And here's the decision. At some point when it comes to sexual impurity, you decide to worship the created over the creator. And you make that decision. And once you make that decision, understand how sin works, right? One compromise leads to... Are we tracking, right? To some point, this is no longer a sin, right? To some point, this is having sex with multiple... Again, go around in your high schools today and talk to people. Having sex with multiple people is not abnormal. Go around in your college campuses today. Having sex with multiple people has become something that's accepted, right? Oh, they're just sowing their wild oats. You know, they're just... You know, they're just kind of getting through. That's what all teenagers do, right? That's what all, that's how everybody acts. I'm hoping, listen, I'm hoping when we get to the end of this, once you understand the internal things that get broken because of sexual impurity, that you will look at that completely differently. Because, hear me out when I say this. I'm not saying these things can't be forgiven. So if you're in a relationship like that today and you're having sex, I'm not saying that you can't. Make a purity covenant today, which is what I'm going to ask you. So if, you're, if you are single and you're sleeping around, by the end of this message, I hope that God will intervene in your heart and you'll make a purity covenant with God to say, I will start my spiritual virginity. I gave up my physical, but today I'm going to make a decision. I'm no longer going to have sex until I get married. I hope that if you're in a relationship with this person that you think that you're going to marry someday and you're pretty sure that it's going to happen and you're having sex because you've kind of just been like, well, that's what everybody does because we're going to end up together. I hope that today you will make a decision to be pure until you get married. I hope that if you're in this room today and you're inside of a marriage relationship and there are sexual impurities going inside of your marriage relationship, whatever that is, whether it be pornography or lustful thoughts or anything that's happening, that you will make a decision today to honor God with the purity of what sex is supposed to be, right, and how it's supposed to look inside of your life. So I hope that that's what you do. Because here's what I wanna tell you. So young people, listen for just a second. If the first part didn't make any sense to you, listen to me on this. If you went and interviewed married couples down the road in their marriage that have struggled with sexual sin in their life, I guarantee you that if it has not been fixed, they are struggling inside of their marriage. They might still be married, But their marriage relationship is not what it should be because of past decisions of sexual immorality or sexual impurity that's now affecting their marriage today. Right? Whether it is they found out about the... 30 people you slept with before, and now all of a sudden it was brought up, and somebody from the past brings, you know what I mean, like all that. Or whether it is that somebody is addicted to pornography, and because that pornography has been a part of it, you know, we all worked it out, but now intimacy is hard, and you can't get it figured out. Like, I'm just telling you, it will affect long-term if you don't fix it, right? So this is a time to understand what Scripture says and, and, and call yourself to that place, because this is the great thing about it. Because I don't want this to be that message that, you know, I talked to somebody one time and they were like, my dad, you know, told me about sex. So even when I was married, I was half afraid, right? You know, because he made it such a like evil thing. And I'm like, oh no, man, sex is good, right? I don't know, ain't nobody going to be able to say no, sex is a good thing. Just wait till you get married and, you know, all that stuff. But you shouldn't be afraid of what it is. This is why, because, and we're going to see why this affects you so much, is is that The gift of sex, right, isn't physical. It's about intimacy, right? It's about intimacy in a relationship. And here's the deal. And and I'll tell young couples this. Like when I'm doing their, their marriage counseling before they get married, I'm like, let me give you a little precursor into the first 10 years of your marriage. If your sex life is bad, something's broke, right? Like if your sex life isn't good, Something's broke. Why? Because God said the greatest gift that I can give you in your relationships is sex. The only time you get to become one, right? The intimacy that goes with a sexual relationship done the right way is a gift from God. But what goes with that also is when you corrupt it, what happens to you on the inside is also something different than any other sin can have in your life. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do today is we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 6. If you have a Bible, turn there, 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 20. In this, we're going to help you understand what does Scripture say when it comes to sexuality, and what does Scripture say about where Christians who, you know, have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, what kind of decisions should they make when it comes to sexuality? sexuality. And again, my hope is that that you'll have an open mind to this. Because I know for some of you, you're like, well, this is not a message for me, or, you know, I'm not at that place in my life. Well, maybe it's an opportunity for you to learn something that you can pass on to somebody else. Like, maybe it's something that you can take notes from, and then when you have a conversation with somebody, and they have questions, or God gives you a chance to, to witness into the life of somebody, you can say, like, this is what scripture says, and this is how you can use it. If you're, again, In this, the mix of this, I hope you will use it as an opportunity to to put a baseline together um, for your life. So 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. Now, here's what was going on. So in the Corinthian church, right, so here's the history. So we all know that the Corinthian church, being Greeks, struggled with sexual sin, right? So they gave their life to Jesus Christ. Paul came in. The Corinthian church started. They gave their life to Jesus Christ. But after they gave their life to Jesus Christ, there was this one sin that they struggled with greatly, right? And the one sin that they struggled with was sexual sin. And do you remember historically what we talked about? This is why they struggled with it. In the Corinthian church, if you were married, or in the Corinthian city, if you were married and uh, you wanted to uh, satisfy your physical desires, you would go satisfy your physical desires with a prostitute. Right, and not with your wife. Like that was common. Everybody did that all the time in the Corinthian church. So when they gave their life to Christ, the people inside of the church were like, Well, I mean, I know, and I, you know, the Lord's, you know, my my leader and I love him, but I can't give this up. Right? Because you know what we're gonna learn about sex is sex is somewhat like an appetite, right? So when you're hungry. You eat, right? Even if, right, and I'll speak to this firsthand. <laughs> Even if the food that you put in your body is not good for you, you're meeting the physical desire regardless of what that is. I mean, you're mowing down, right? And here's what we know about the physical appetite. You know, the, the more you feed it, the more it grows, right? And like all of a sudden, one Big Mac doesn't meet it. You know, and you're like, I could eat three of these suckers, right? It's just like it continues to go. Or just like the concept of this, anybody ever fast before? What's the only thing you think of when you're fasting? Food. So these people are like, oh, we gave this up. They thought sex as something that was physical, and so when they gave it up, what do you think all they thought about was? Sex. Right? And okay, so this is what happens, and this is what happens with all of us. So we're not just gonna bash on the Corinthian church. This happens with all of us. You know, when you have that sin and you have this appetite for sin and you, and you start to carry it out, and the first time that you, you, know, you carry out that sin, it's like, oh man, that was a bummer. But over time, we just accept the sin and we justify why we do it. Right? I mean, that's a lot of sin in our life. We just keep doing it and then we justify why we do it, you know, and the sexual sin is the same thing. They were just saying, okay, well, we've got everything else right in our life, and this is the reason we need, you know, the temple prostitutes, and this is the reason we need to do all these things. So when Paul addresses them, he's talking to them in a way like, you guys think it's all physical. I want to talk to you about what it means to to understand the spiritual part of it, and that's what we're going to look at uh, today. So, verse 12. Let's look at it. Verse 12 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. So This is what they were saying. You know, here's what we know, I think, about Christianity. If you sin and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, are your sins forgiven? So let's start first. That's a theology one, right? Like, Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, the sins that you commit in your life when it comes to salvation are covered by the blood of Christ. Right? So we know all of that. So that's what he was saying in the beginning. In the beginning, it says, I have the right to do anything, right? Because you're going to be forgiven. There's freedom in Christ, right? It's not this legalistic way to earning his favor. He says there's freedom in Christ. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial, okay? And here's what you're going to see. You're right. You have freedoms in Christ, you have freedoms to go out and make decisions in your life. You have freedoms to, to, to choose to live holy. You have choo- uh, decisions that you have in your life to sin. I mean, you have all that. There's freedom inside of that. But here's what he comes back to you and says, but do you understand with the, the freedom of choice, it does not affect your salvation, but there are consequences for living a sinful life. Does that make sense? Right? So we're not talking about Salvation consequences, we're talking about earthly consequences for choosing a lifestyle of sin, right, or choosing sin in your life. As an example, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about a village of people living in sexual immorality that God said you shouldn't live this way. 23,000 of them were struck down dead. There is consequences in Scripture for living a life that has sin in it. Or you remember the story of David? Anybody know the story of David and Bathsheba? So here's the story of David and Bathsheba. David known in Scripture. This is really important. God loved David. It says David was a man after God's own heart. Right Here's a guy that, that was revered in Scripture. But David made a critically wrong move in his life. First of all, as a man and as a leader, he should have been on the battlefield fighting for his people, but he wasn't. Idle time with an idle mind standing on the rooftop of his building. When he's standing at the rooftop of his building, he looks across, he sees Bathsheba, beautiful, bathing, right? Decides, I'm going to go over and have sex with Bathsheba, first mistake. Then he finds out that Bathsheba gets pregnant, another, the physical aspect of it. I'll fix the physical aspect of it. Uriah, right, which is, you know, uh, Bathsheba's husband. He calls him from the battlefield, which was also one of his leaders. calls him from the battlefield, tries to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba so he can cover up his sin, right, cover up the physical part. Couldn't do it because Uriah was a real man and said, I need to go back to the battlefield. He goes back to the battlefield. David decides, I can't fix this, so I'm going to have Uriah killed. Uriah is killed on the battlefield supposedly I did sin. Because here's what we know. Like, was David forgiven for the sin of, of sleeping with Bathsheba and killing Uriah? Yes, right? Forgiven for the sin. Now, were there consequences for David's sin of sexual immorality with Bathsheba? Here's what it says. Second Samuel says, Samuel the prophet says to David, The sword will never leave your house, never. And if you look at the story of David and and the rest of his life, David still was a man of God who suffered through the consequences of sexual sin by his kids rebelling, so his kids rebelled against him, by uh, his kids dying, by things around him happening even though he was forgiven, there's consequences for that. So here's what we need to understand. Even though you have freedom and you can be forgiven, like that's what people do sometimes. Like, oh, no, I'm out having sex. I'm living in sexual immorality. And then I come back and ask God for forgiveness. And does God forgive me? Yes, God forgives you. But you got to understand there are consequences for that sin later on in your life or right then that you can't get away from. Right? There is baggage that goes with sexual immorality that at some point that baggage is coming along. At some point, you're going to deal with that baggage, right? Now, can we deal with it and can people be restored and can we go down? Yes. But if you can, young people, if you can come into this without baggage and you can come into this from a place of where God wants you to be, I'm just telling you, you're setting yourself up for success. You're setting yourself up for God to be in the center of what you're doing. And again, it doesn't mean that he won't be, and and because he is, even though we've made mistakes in our past, it's just we have less to work through. Anybody that's worked through baggage before? It's nice when we have the, not as many bags, you know, to go through. It's a, it's a lot easier to work through. You can work through them, but, it, you know, it's harder to do. So we know that, that sexual immorality uh, is harmful. Here's the next thing that he says. He says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he starts with this idea. Is, remember when we said, how is it possible for somebody to go into a brothel? and have sex with a woman that's been locked up or chained to a bed? Like, how does, that, how does that person get to that point? You know how they got to that point? It's because at some point they made a decision. So here's, here's, like, I'm, like, off the chain having sex with prostitutes to the point of, like, everybody thinks this is, like, you're crazy. You know how that started? One decision of sexual impurity. And something starts to change inside of your mind that starts to grab control. And, and listen to me, this is what happens. Your appetite starts to grow in ways that can't be satisfied. Do you see how this works? Right? Sexual immorality, your appetite was satisfied, and you're like, oh. And then you go back, and it was like, oh. Think about this. How is it possible that a man would molest a little girl? How would it be okay that a man molests a baby? You know how that started? At some point, an adult his age was not good enough. It didn't satisfy his appetite. Right? It started with sexual impurity here. Is this not making any sense? I feel like this is, right? It started here with a decision of sexual immorality and the appetite when it's not satisfied. This is what your biological body does. You move on to the only thing that can satisfy your appetite. Right To the point where the only thing that satisfy an appetite is molesting a little girl or having sex with, with a prostitute chained to a bed. And we're all thinking, that's crazy. But what he's saying from the beginning is sexual sin will control you. Sexual sin, when you start down this road, guys, when you think that you can go in and you can just watch pornography and disconnect it someday when you're married, it doesn't work. When you start down that road, it has a control in your brain that's hard to disconnect from You know, when, you're, when you get to the place where you want to have sexual intimacy with your spouse. It's hard to disconnect from because he says sexual impurity or sexual sin starts to have control. And, and again, we're looking at an extreme, but I want you to know that this decision, young people, when you make the decision to compromise here, just so you know what's over there, Just so you understand what down this road looks like when you make a decision. Parents, when you decide to condone sexual sin, just so we understand what's down the road, right? Or possibly down the road, right? We got to understand those types of things. It can cause control or issues inside of of the marriage or inside of their relationship. Okay, here's the next thing that he says in verse 13: He says, You say food for the stomach. And stomach for uh, for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, has, uh, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By this power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will also raise us too. So he, He's going down this road to start to introduce this truth that sometimes it's hard for us to understand. Is there's this idea that this biological understanding, and He's comparing food and sex, like I did you know, this biological understanding like they're both appetites that you need to satisfy and that it's all physical, he starts to introduce this idea why it's more than just physical. He says, do you understand how your body is more than just a biological thing that will be destroyed someday? You have a soul, and the decisions that you're making are affecting your spirituality or your soul, right? You can't separate them. Does that make sense? Like, you can't separate it out. Sexual immorality and your spirituality cannot be separated, and we're going to see it here in just a second, because they're inside of the body, right? It's something that happens inside the body, and you can't disconnect those things. And he goes on, he talks about it a little bit more when he says this. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do, not, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, this is going to get a little weird, but stay with me. Every one of you that have given your life to Jesus Christ, what you have residing inside of you is the Holy Spirit, Right? a gift from Jesus Christ, the manifestation of Jesus Christ is living inside of you, okay? With you all the time, everywhere that you go, he is with you, right? So, young people, when you're dabbling in pornography and you're off in a room and you're looking at pornography and you think, well, I'm all by myself and I'm not, there's no harm to anybody, I'm doing it alone, you know, it's not hurting anybody and nobody's ever going to find out about it, you have just brought Jesus into that room with you. If you are a Christian, you are not doing it alone. You have caused Jesus, who is living inside of you, to be a part of your sin, because it's not like you can just leave your body and wait outside the room. That, that, you see that, right? Like It's not like you can disconnect Jesus out of your body and say, hey, can you wait outside? I got some stuff to do. The same thing, if you're having sex outside of marriage and you think you're getting away with it, Like you're having sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality, and you're thinking, well, it's just us two and nobody really knows about it and we protected against the physical act. You know that you have brought Jesus Christ into your bedroom, into sexual immorality. You have brought him into the backseat of your car, wherever those things are. You You have brought Jesus into a place that Jesus, obviously what he's saying is, that's awful. Like think about that. You ever thought about that? I mean, you think that you're going to go to your room and you're going to have sex alone. Well, like, would you be okay with Jesus watching? Because <laughs> you're not going to disconnect him, right? He's living inside of you. So you just can't disconnect it and say, well, you know, just not for now and Jesus later. You know, Jesus is with you all of the time. So Paul's making this argument that when you get into sexual sin, because it's, again, it's something inside of the body, that it's something that has an effect because Jesus Christ is residing inside of you, an effect that only can be you know, understood you know, through this because of sexual sin has an effect that, that no other sin uh, has. Then he says in verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against the body. So you know how he's, like I was saying, it's separate, like there's no other sin like sexual sin. Well, the first thing that he says is, and so again, young people, listen to me for just a second. If you don't have boundaries predetermined before your inner relationship, it's a bad idea to set those boundaries in the backseat of your car. Right? Because they doesn't work, because I said this to you before, and I'll say it again. Like sex is a good thing, right? And do you just thought that you're going to go down the road and then just stop? I don't know if anybody's been down the road, but it ain't very easy to stop. Come on, right? I mean, speak to the young people, old people, come on. It's not that easy to just be like, "Oh man, I'm done. You know, it doesn't work that way, right? So, so you go, you have to predetermine. It says, flee from sexual immorality, anything. Because you know, when it says flee, it's saying, if you don't, you will get caught in the trap. It's a trap, right? And once you get there, you can't get out, right? And that's what it starts to say. So he says, flee from sexual immorality. Set your boundaries. If you are struggling with sexual impurity today, even if you're married and it's pornography or whatever, do everything possible to get out of the situation that's causing sexual immorality, whatever it is. If it means you can't be alone, if it means you can't have a phone, if it means I don't care what it is, the effects that, that sexual impurity has on a person, it's worth getting rid of your iPhone if you can't stay off pornography. I'm going back to a flip phone. It just is. I mean, listen, long-term effects, you'll be glad that you did it until you get over that. Because again, he says that, that this sin, different than every other sin, and this is why. The gift that God gave you, Sexuality, the gift given to married people, is the greatest opportunity for intimacy in the lives of a person. And when you corrupt that, it affects you more than any other sin. Because you are corrupting the most beautiful thing in a relationship that God ever gave you. Right? And that's sexuality. When it's corrupted, things start to happen inside of us or things start to happen around us that wouldn't normally happen because of sexual sin. Then he ends it with this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God God with your bodies. So the band's going to come back up, and I want to give you some things to think about. So young women, listen to me. Whatever age you are or wherever you are, online here in this room, listen to me. You are a daughter of God. Your identity is defined by being a daughter of God. Do not let men and the world identify your worth by your sexuality, because that's what's happening. By the way that you look and the way that you, you know, present yourself, by the way that you either do or don't do, you are a daughter of God. Your worth will not be determined by the world's concept of who you are. Your life was bought at a price. And you need to know, you don't have to, listen, you don't have to dress away to attract attention. You don't have to give yourself away to keep that guy. If you have to give yourself away to keep that guy, that guy's not worth it. You hear me? If you have to give yourself to that man for him to stay, I'll just give you a little heads up down the road, pick another man. He ain't worth it. He's not deserving of you. If that's the way it has to be, then he does not deserve you because you are not defined by those acceptances or those things. Do not get caught in that trap in what the world says. Guys, listen. (laughs) Your life bought at a price, You are called to be men of God. I always say this, like, it's so weird to me to think that women have to set the boundaries in a relationship. Why? What are you doing? What do you wait, why do you have to sit back and say, well, you know, whatever she, she says is okay is okay. I'm like, all right, chump. God called you to be a man of God. Set the boundaries in your relationship and stick to them. Stop putting your girlfriend in a position where she has to say no. A real man of God does not put a woman in a position where she has to say no. A real man of God does not bring his wife or his girlfriend or the people around him into situations of impurity. A man stands in the gap and protects and stands up for, not waits on the sidelines. Your life, men, bought at a price. Do what God's called you to do. Stand up. Draw the boundaries in relationships. Stand in the gap for your wife. Stand in the gap for your girlfriend. Stand in the gap for your future, Right? for your future relationships. Be the man that God's called you to be. Stop sitting on the sidelines and letting women make those decisions in relationships because it's your job to be able to do it. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So a couple things that I I want you to think about today as we pray through this, a couple things that I want you to process One of those things is this, if you are in a relationship today and you are in sexual impurity, will today be the day that you will draw the line in the sand and say, I will now become pure, whatever it is. I want you to think through that. And what does that look like? The other thing that I want you to consider is this, what would it look like for you and in your life for your body to be honoring to God? What do you need to change? What needs to change in your life so that your body, when it comes to sexuality, will be honoring to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you knowing that um, this is a subject at times it's difficult to talk about, but we also understand that the ramification that goes with sexual sin. So Lord, may we look at it more from the, the spiritual side than just the physical side. Knowing that we are a temple, that you are living inside of us, Lord, we want nothing more than to bring you glory and not bring you into our sin. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you'll give us courage, young people, courage today to make a purity covenant. If they're having sex, will they stop today until the day that they get married? If they aren't in a relationship, will they make a decision to build boundaries that will say, I won't have sex until I'm married? Will they pray that you give them the courage to be able to do that? If sexual sin is inside of the relationships or marriages today, Lord, I pray that you will uh, give them the wisdom to take it away to live pure for you. And most of all, Lord, I pray that our lives and the way that we view and the way that we set standards for sexuality will bring honor to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. See? You. So I know that when you preach a message like this, it hits everybody in different places. And so the challenge I want to give you today is is to not leave here uh, and just be like, oh, you know, I need to work through these things. But we know when it comes to sexual sin that it is powerful enough that you need to make a decision, right? Because your natural desire, if you just hope that it'll go away, it won't. So today I'll pray that If you find yourself in a place where sexual impurity or sexual morality has entered into your relationship or entered into your mind, that you'll make a decision today to to steer clear, flee from, and make a decision, never go back to those things, and allow your life to be used and allow you to uh, honor God with your life. So thanks for being here with us this week. We'll see you guys next week as we finish up the series Love, Sex, and Dating.